The Squeaky Wheel Tour, starting in 2006, is the only event of its kind. A group of musicians coming together to raise awareness and money for missing persons' causes. Today, because the Squeaky Wheel is turning right now, in venues across the United States from October 17th to November 7th, I replay the interview I did with its founder in 2016, where we discuss also the disappearance of her sister, Regina Marie Boss. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound. switching things up a little bit for this episode. I had what you would call a regular interview planned for today, but I discovered almost by accident that the Squeaky Wheel Tour was happening, and it just so happens that I interviewed Janelle Rapp, its founder, roughly three years ago, and I thought this was an excellent way to raise awareness about this musical tour that's going on right now. Janelle Rapp, the founder, has not asked me to do this. In fact, I haven't even contacted her to tell her I was doing this. Hey, you know me by now. I do what I want. So this is an opportunity for all of you to find out about this annual event that's been happening since 2006. However, this is also a chance to revisit in depth a disappearance that hasn't been mentioned in any of the three update episodes I've done. Why? Unfortunately, because there's nothing new. I'm hoping by covering it again, and broadcasting the interview in its entirety to an audience that is many times larger than when Janelle's interview first aired, that we get something kickstarted. Because Regina Marie Boss's case is one of the real stumpers in Unfound's catalog. And now, summary of the Squeaky Wheel Tour. This is not brought to you by my friend Megan Good's website, charlieproject.org. The tour got started in 2006 by Janelle Rapp six years after her sister, Regina Marie Boss, disappeared from Omaha, Nebraska after a night of playing music with friends. She went out to her car and was never seen again. The tour bills itself as a grassroots effort to gain attention for hundreds of missing children and adults whose disappearances do not have the scandal, intrigue, or national appeal to garner the attention of the public. And to quote from the Squeaky Wheel website, The squeaky wheel starts here, with me, with you. We have the power to make a difference both individually and collectively. We are the families of the missing, the artists and communities who care about the missing, the not-for-profit organizations dedicated to the missing, and the media who sees that attention is needed to bring someone home. End quote. The tours traveled the United States every year except for 2010. Some of the musicians involved have been the Mike Sullivan Band, Chris Valenti and the Emotional Rex, Kama Linden, Saul Kay, Jenny Carr, Randy Jackson, Gina Miller, Gary Lynn Floyd, Alex Marie Brinkley, and James Morris. For the 2019 tour, here are some of the musicians who are on the bill. Luke Turco, Yvonne Perea, Jamie Lula, 
Ann Gavin, Micah Moulton, and many of the other performers from previous years. As for dates on the tour, let me tell you what they are from now until November. California dates, October 25th, the day this episode comes out, at 7 p.m. in Templeton, California, at the Central Coast Center for Spiritual Living. October 26th in Soquel at Inner Light Ministries. October 27th in Santa Rosa at 2 p.m. at the Center for Spiritual Living. October 30th in Simi Valley at 7.30 p.m. at the Center for Spiritual Living. November 1st in Long Beach at 7 p.m. at the Grace First Presbyterian Church. And November 2nd in Hollywood at Kulex Woodshed. In Delaware on October 31st in Wilmington. There will be a taping on The Marva Show on cable TV, Channel 27. The air date for that will be November 3rd at 4 p.m. on Channel 27. In Maryland, October 25th, once again, the day this episode comes out, in Elkton, Maryland, 6 p.m. at Baker's Restaurant. Pennsylvania, October 26th, in Blue Ball, Pennsylvania, at 8 p.m. at Carini's Italian Restaurant. In Tennessee, November 1st, in Nashville, 4.30 p.m. at the Cambria Hotel. In Texas, November 3rd, in Dallas, at a venue that is to be announced. If you live in any of those areas, I hope you will attend. Unfound News. If you are a transcriber for Volume 1 of Season 2, you should be getting some packages. What do they contain? Your books, including the one you worked on. And they're all signed by yours truly. Thank you for all your hard work. Next, I'm continuing to work on the Steve Pankey interview. My goal is to at least to try to talk to a couple of the people he mentioned. I think it's only fair that I give these people a chance to offer their insight into Janelle Matthews' disappearance and murder. But I promise the interview will be out before November 5th. And finally, no, I am not dressing up for Halloween. Not really my thing. But I will be over at my brother's next Thursday. He and his wife typically get over 300 trick-or-treaters. Yes, really. I hope all of you have a great time. Just don't eat too much candy. Where you can find Unfound. Unfound supports accounts on Podomatic, iTunes, Stitcher, Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, and Facebook. On Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern, please join us on YouTube for the Unfound live show. Contribute to Unfound at patreon.com forward slash unfoundpodcast. This week, I need to thank Sue. You can also contribute to PayPal, unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. That is also the email address. Merchandise, the books at amazon.com in both ebook and print form. Don't forget the reviews. Shirts at unfound-podcast.myshopify.com. Cards at makeplaincards.com forward slash sell, forward slash unfound podcast. And please mention unfound at all true crime websites and forums. Thank you. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline.
I'm so happy to have on this episode of Unfound the sister of Gina Boss, Janelle Rapp. Janelle, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much, Ed. I so appreciate it, and I know the families of the missing that have a chance to hear this will definitely appreciate your work. Thank you very much. Tell the listeners a little bit about your sister, you know, so that listeners can feel like they know her too. What it was like growing up, obviously you're a musician, she was a musician. Uh, How did that all happen? What was the family dynamic? Well, there are seven kids in our family. She's number three. And so kind of the middle child syndrome a little bit. Uh, She shared the middle spot with her other sister. Um, She was the person that walked into a room and everybody knew she was there. Um, Mm -hmm. She had a light about her. She uh, was extremely creative, the most creative person I've ever met, able to paint and draw and sculpt and uh, create a dress, design dresses, design hair. Um, um, She could pretty much do anything where, you know, it came down to creating something with her hands. And then she was also a musician, and she sang really well, and she could harmonize, and she started to dabble in writing music as well. So um, she was uh, very stubborn, though, very stubborn, and uh, she just had to um, find a way to get what she wanted. In fact, when we were in college, um, we had gone up, actually, I think we were out of college. We went up to go pick up some of my things from Minneapolis, where I went to college. Mm-hmm. And um, she had gone there with me for one year because she wanted to go because she wanted to see the city and hang out. Well, it happened to be over Christmas break, and there was a lot of snow, and it ended up being a blizzard, so we got snowed in. Wow. And um, while we were there, she had on going to this specific Italian restaurant, and I said, there's no way we can get there. There's a blizzard. We can't go. She insisted, 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 insisted. She would not let go of it until I figured out a way to get us there. We went there, and she got something, and she, she had her way. <laughs> I'm sur- well, you make it sound, I'm surprised the place was even open if the snow was that I bad. Wow. Was surprised. I was surprised as well. So. Wow. So music was part of your family? Do you, did you have parents who were into music, or do you have other siblings who were also into music? Was the, huh? We were all into music. My parents sang and played instruments mm-hmm. uh, when they were growing up. My dad's family was very musical for generations. My grandfather was a violin teacher, and my grandmother played the piano. She was a closet piano player. She was very shy, but she played. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and then uh, we just all sang going up. There were seven kids. So our idea of a vacation was driving into the country because we had enough gas to go into the country. We'd take a, a long drive in the country with all the kids singing. And we just my mom would pick the songs, and we would just all sing and wow. harmonize. And that was, that was our little mini vacation. That sounds like the Partridge family. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. So, um, you, you both of you went to college, and what did yeah. Gina? What did Gina have to do after that? What, what, how did she? Where, what was her life path? 
Um, she did a lot of things. She was a hairdresser. She, on the side, designed wigs and clothes for productions that were going on in Nebraska. She worked in doctor's offices and Kinko's at the very end. She was an assistant manager at Kinko's right before she disappeared. Oh, okay. And she had children? She had three three, had three children? Kids. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, what were th- what were their ages at the time that she disappeared? How old were they? Eleven, thirteen, and fifteen. Okay. So she went to school, and uh, she was a mother, but uh, she was divorced, right? Yes. She was. Okay. And so she was back living in Lincoln, Nebraska. And where were you at that time? Where, where, where were you? Did you see her a lot? Did you talk to her a lot? How close were you two? I didn't see her a lot. I only talked probably several times a year. Mm-hmm. I lived in the Los Angeles area, Southern California. Mm-hmm. Okay. And was she close with any of your other siblings? No, no offense to you, of course, but was she closer with maybe one? You have another sister, another brother that she was close to that she saw, saw more often? Well, um, I think we, it was all about the same for us. We were fed out, and in 2000s, not everybody had cell phones, and right. cell phone right. packages weren't like they are today. So of course. There wasn't a lot of conversation unless you had the money, and she was a busy single mom, and I was a busy single mom. And, um, so when we could yeah. talk, we did. Um, yeah. Right, okay. Okay, so we we come up to, of course, you know, unfortunately, 2000, October of 2000. When was the last time you talked to her before she disappeared? How long before that? And um, Was there anything, you know, any problems going on in her life that anybody knew about, that you knew about? The last time I talked to her is hard to pinpoint. I've tried to pinpoint that many times, mm-hmm. and it just doesn't come to me. I remember the last time I saw her. I just don't remember the date. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember her walking away from me. Mm. I remember watching her walk away from me. You know, it was like this moment encapsulated yeah. in my mind. And um, we were at, we had been at a restaurant eating, and... Um, she was kind of in the mood that day, and mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot of talking that happened. My parents were there and a couple of my siblings. Okay. I don't know what was bothering her that day. but And you, was, and you never did find out what was bothering her? No, I didn't know what was no. bothering her. So maybe you talked to her like two weeks before she disappeared or something? like. Well, the only reason I'm asking this, if the listeners want to know, is, you know, you do enough of these shows and you read enough cases, you... You hear about, you know, maybe women, they were having maybe problems with an ex-boyfriend or an ex-husband, and they had voiced right. something, and then suddenly they're, you know, dis- you know, they're disappeared, you know. That's right. all, that's the only reason I'm asking you those questions, because I, th- uh, I think probably the listeners wonder about things like that. Right. I think it was, it was longer than two weeks. Okay. You know, it was probably at least six months. Okay. Yeah. It okay. had been a while since I saw her and talked to her. Okay. So the day... She was very busy. It was hard to get a hold of her. Right. Being being a parent, her having a job, her being, you know, of course, being a musician, 
she did have a boyfriend, and we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, yeah, she she sounds like a busy person, especially with three kids. Especially. Yeah. Right. So the day that she uh, ended up disappearing, nothing unusual about that. Was she a, um, I guess what you would call a, a local at, at Dugan's Pub? Did she go there often? Was she known there? She was definitely known there. Mm -hmm. She had been going there off and on for years. She even worked there at one time. So oh, okay. everybody did know her there. Yes. Okay. And so the, I'm guessing that this, and if the listeners don't know, she um, was there to be participate in an open mic night. I guess people just show up there with their instruments and, you know, get together and play. I guess that's what happens there. And she was a... Uh, she was there quite often, like she said, she even worked there. And she seemingly was in a good mood. As far as you know, this is a common uh, occurrence for her to be here on that night. And she went out to her car, and she was never seen again. Um, do you remember finding out that she had disappeared? I mean, where were you? Uh, what was going on in your life at that time when you found out? Well, at that time, I was teaching at a performing arts school, and I had one of the students that went to my school needed a ride on that day, and I gave her a ride to school. And I remember mentioning my sister for some reason, Gina, mm -hmm. and um, you know, she just came to mind for some reason. So I mentioned her to the student. We were having a conversation, and somehow she came to mind. Mm. And I had the school day, and I went home, and there was a message on my machine to call home quickly. And mm. um, so I called home, and my brother answered the phone, and he said that Gina was missing. Mm. And um, I remember feeling anger at first, you know, towards her, which yeah. sounds a little odd, but I just thought, what did she do? Why, why didn't she come home to her kids? That's not like her. Why wouldn't she do that? You know, I just thought mm -hmm. she was, she just went somewhere and didn't go home to her kids, even though that's not anything she had done before. But I guess that was easier to think that than yeah. to think that someone took her. So that was where I went. Right, right. So, so that was my first thought. And the reason, and I'm going to ask you this question, and I ask you that, I'm going to preface it so you don't think it's a strange question. The last couple episodes that I've done of this show, one of the disappearances was with uh, Andrea Bowman, who was a, a young woman who disappeared. And then the last episode before this one, that still has yet to come out as of this recording, was the disappearance of Robert Abrams. And in both those cases, the people that I interviewed, automatically when they heard, they heard this, they suspected a particular person. Okay. Mm -hmm. This was not in your case. When you heard this, you actually thought that she might have just run off. You did not think that somebody actually did something harmful to her. Not my initial thought. No, okay. Not my initial thought. Um, not that I had any reason to think that right. she would have run off because she had never done that before. Mm -hmm. I really do not think she would ever leave her kids. Right, right. But, um, Right, but there was not somebody that you knew in her life automatically you would think, well, if Gina's not around, it's probably because of that person. That's not what you went, went through your head. No, I didn't think that. Okay. 
Very good. And so the police start in investigating this, and I have to tell you that uh, you said something very interesting in our first conversation because this is our second our conversation about how you and your family dealt with the police. Please tell the listeners about that, about how you felt that you really needed to be nice to them. Okay. Well, you know, police departments are busy. Mm. Police departments have a lot of cases, and, you know, we don't know what's going on in their lives. But we need something from them. You know, when we need the police to help us, um, we are kind of at their mercy, the mercy of their schedule, the mercy of the time they have, the mercy of the other cases that they're juggling. Mm. And so I decided early on that I just really needed to be nice to them, to treat them well, and to respect their time, and to just talk very nice to them and calm. Even if I felt mm. like I was coming out of my skin, I needed to really be calm for the sake of my sister. Right. Right, because and and this is in contrast because I can tell you, and and a lot of these people's um, complaints are are well warranted. You hear a lot of complaints about the police not taking disappearances seriously enough, and mm -hmm. in your case, it's interesting to me that even to this day, you have a little bit of a different attitude toward what has gone on in your sister's case than others do. Right? You, yes. Right. Okay. Good. So what did the police do? They showed up, and what are some of the things that they discovered? What did they find out about the car? Well, the car was slightly open when they found it. It was across the street from the pub. Mm -hmm. Her guitar was inside, and her music was inside, which meant she walked across the street from the pub, mm -hmm. put her guitar inside and her music inside, and then we don't know. Inside the, tr inside, the trunk. inside the trunk. Inside the trunk. Inside the trunk. There was there wasn't any fingerprint evidence or blood evidence or anything um, strange um, or anything that we could uh, use to point to some other person being involved. Okay, so and we didn't find her keys laying there or her purse or there wasn't anything spilled from the contents of her purse as if someone grabbed her and, mm. you know, astonished her and, and so things started falling out. Right. Um, there, there wasn't any of that. Right. And please tell the listeners that that, gu that guitar of hers was very special to her. Uh, I think this is important, uh, an important fact. Um, she even named the guitar, didn't she? She did. Her guitar's name was Harley. And if she was going into a restaurant and her, she had her guitar with her, she would take it in with her. She would not leave her guitar in her car to, um, to have to deal with the weather conditions outside. You know, the, the wood on a guitar yeah. can, can be harmed by different weather conditions. And she knew that, and so she would make sure that she kept it in moderate temperatures. And so had she gotten home that night, she would not leave the guitar in the car. She'd get out, go back to the trunk, and take it inside, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. So you, I guess you could infer from that that she was planning to go directly home, put the trunk, put the guitar in the trunk, and then something happened 
somewhere in there. Yeah. Okay. Um, do you think? Let's let's uh, say this. If she if she was putting the guitar in the trunk, and a friend of hers came by as she was leaving and said, "Hey, let's go." You know, I don't know what's open at one in the morning in Lincoln, Nebraska, but let's go down to this diner that's still open. Would she take the guitar with her, or would do you think mm-hmm. if she was she would take the guitar with her? Yes, she she definitely would have taken it with her. Okay, okay, that's that's interesting to know. Okay, um, so the police also went to Dugan's pub, and Dugan's pub has video cameras. But what what happened there? What did you find out? We forgot to turn them on that night. So were these. Uh, I'm sure you don't know exactly, but I'm going to guess these are video cameras that probably would show, for insurance reasons, maybe there's like a, a camera behind the register or something. Did you ever find out, is that a common occurrence that they don't turn them on or just bad luck? I believe it was bad luck. Just bad luck. It was bad wow. luck. That has to be frustrating, isn't it? It is, but I believe that they were able to pinpoint, if if not everybody, almost everyone that had been in the pub that night, you know, because they talked to the bartenders, they talked to people who were there, and mm-hmm. they would talk to who they remembered being there, and, and I believe they talked to nearly everybody who had been there that night, although... If they just miss one person, it could be the one person you really need That's to talk right. to. That's right. That's true. You make a very good point there, Janelle. That's true. But I, I'm guessing since this you this is kind of a local's place, so it probably wouldn't be hard to track people down. It's not like a bar in Las Vegas where you have different clientele in there every week. So Right. Right. Yeah. It's it's local and everybody kinda knows everybody. What kind of area of town is that? What, yeah, what kind of area of town is that? It's a downtown area. It's about a block and a half from the police department, maybe six blocks from the University of Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Maybe eight, I'm not sure, but mm-hmm. it's not far from the university. It's, it's not a, a horrible area, mm-hmm. um, but it's a downtown area. Okay. If you were playing in that bar and your car was parked across the street like like Gina's was, would you have any – would you as a woman being by yourself have any concerns about walking to your car at night in Lincoln, Nebraska in that area? Uh, that's a mixed bag question. Okay. Uh, I, based on where her car was, mm-hmm. it was – literally across the street from the pub mm-hmm. and um it's not like across the street and then in a parking lot it was across the street and so if i were her knowing most of the people that were in the pub yeah and walking out with everyone as they were walking out because she walked out at closing time right i wouldn't have been concerned no at all okay um, but, you know, if there was some strange people there and I wasn't sure, I might ask somebody to walk me out. Okay. And 
what the police found is nobody saw anything that night. Nobody heard anything unusual the night that that Gina disappeared. And talking exactly. to all the, exactly okay. Now, Gina also had a pager. And the plan, if once again, if the listeners don't know, that her plan was she was going to leave Dugan's Pub, go get her boyfriend at, I guess, one location, and then go back to where her children were at her house. Okay. Yeah. And the boyfriend, when she didn't get home, he called her, but he, I guess from my information, didn't call her to like 6.30 in the morning. Only to find out that she didn't take her pager with her that night. Do you think that that's unusual? What you think, you, you know, you knew about your sister at the time? Anything unusual about that? Uh, I think that she may have forgotten her pager because there was a there was a lot going on when she left the house mm-hmm. to go to the open mic night. She had been at Dugan's Pub earlier that evening. She was at a shower. One of her friends had a baby shower, I believe. Mm. And um, when she was there is when her friend said, you got to come back for the open mic night. Uh-huh. She originally was not planning on that. Okay. So she went back home, and her boyfriend was at the house, or at her, yeah, at her duplex. Mm-hmm. And um, the kids were there, and her middle son had just gotten home from a trip to Disney World. Every few years, Grandma takes one of the grandchildren to Disney World. That's a treat that she, you know, each kid got to go just on their own and Mm. experience Disney World with Grandma. Wow. And so this was his turn. Okay. And um, so he just got back and he was showing her what he got for her and then it was her oldest son's birthday and so she wasn't sure that she would go back there, but she made sure the kids were in bed and everything was handled, and, and then she left with her boyfriend mm-hmm. to go to the pub. Mm-hmm. On the way to the pub, um, they got into a disagreement, and he decided he wanted to go home, and he didn't want to go to the pub. So she dropped him off at home, which was about 12 blocks from the pub, mm-hmm. and then she went on to the pub and, you know, performed and hung out with other musicians and played with other musicians. And and like you said earlier, she Mm. was very happy that night. Everyone that talked to the police said she was in extremely good mood. She was very happy. She was planning on recording with uh, another band that was there. She was going to do some backups for them. And so they were making plans for future uh, times together. Mm -hmm. And um, she walked out happy. Yeah not angry at the world or sad or anything, but she walked out happy and that she was going home to her kids. Right. Well, now that you put it that way, yes, with a child coming back from Disney World and everybody being there, it's easy to understand if she would have, uh, you know, forgotten forgotten her pager. How do you know that she and her boyfriend had the argument in the car? Is that something that he, I guess he must have said that afterwards? Yes, he, he told us. He told you. He told you. Okay. Do you know what the disagreement was about? I'm not. Do you know what it was about? I'm not getting to get into family stuff here. Do you know what it was about? I honestly don't remember. I think I did know mm. at one time, and I, I probably 
probably have it written down somewhere, but mm. I don't remember. Okay, nothing that, if you don't remember, I'm going to just take for granted. It wasn't like Gina was like thinking about breaking up with him or anything like that. No, I, I, anything okay. like that. Okay, all right, great. Uh, so... Did you ever try to call her? Did I mean, did you have her pager number? Do you remember back at the time? Um, you mean when she first disappeared? Or no, just, uh, no, in the year, however many years she had her pager. What I'm trying to, I'm just wondering if you ever called her and found well, out I that. I would call her on the phone, but I would never would have paged oh, her. Oh, no, I wouldn't paged her. Okay. Uh, yeah, not in those days. I just would have called her on her home phone. Okay. I don't believe she had a cell phone. I don't know if I had one at that time. Even I, I might have. Okay. No. Uh, was the boyfriend considered a suspect? Yes. And I think usually in these cases, if there's a boyfriend, an ex-husband, yeah. I think that's where they go first. That's true. Because in uh, most cases, that is the problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They can find their answers there. Yeah, I think in our first conversation we talked about uh, how, you know, a majority of cases, if a woman does have violence committed against her, you know, rape or murder or disappearance, a lot of the times it is a, a, a guy that they know. So that's why I ask, did he, uh, did he ever have a lie detector test taken or anything like that? I believe that he did. And did he pass it? I believe that he did. Okay, you believe that he did. At any time, have you ever suspected that he um, could be the person who made her disappear at any time? I did at first because um, that's just what you think when you don't know anything. And you, you know, when he said they had an argument. Mm-hmm, sure. Like, ah. They had an argument. That's something right. And something. And, um, so, you know, when somebody disappears like this and you don't know anything, everyone's a suspect. Right. And I remember having a heightened sensitivity to the way people looked at me, the way they talked, all of those things as I was going around talking to those who had last seen her, as I was flyering the area. I was looking into people's eyes, wondering if there was a sign of, you know, guilt or why won't they look me in the eye? And, you know, some people wouldn't look me in the eye because they were sad or they, you know, some people felt guilty because they didn't hear anything. Yeah. You know, they didn't, they didn't walk her to her car. But, of course, you know, I was very, uh, I was just glued to everything anybody would do. And, right. Uh, Hypersensitive. Yeah, hypersensitive. Hypersensitive. And, um, but most of them, you know, just felt really bad. And I was taking that as guilt. <laughs> Not that I was blaming everyone I talked to, because I certainly wasn't. But I, I was just making a mental note everywhere yeah. I went. What did, uh, what did your parents think? Were they, were they, I mean, were they suspicious of him? Were they suspicious of anybody? Uh, obviously, she has three kids. Were they suspicious of, like, maybe an, 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 another ex-boyfriend, ex-husband? Once again, don't have to give any names. Just, I mean, any, anybody? Right. Like, 
Yeah, my parents, initially, I think they were so distraught yeah. that I don't know words came out of their mouths about who did it or who might have done it. I just remember my mother being extremely distraught and my father doing his best to take care of her. Yeah. So I, I don't recall anything like that initially or yeah. really at any time. Would you say that the boyfriend took her disappearance hard? I would say that they did initially, yes. The, no, the boyfriend did take it hard initially? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm the, the boyfriend. Uh, we can... I'm sure the parents, of course, took it hard. The boy, your boy, uh, Her boyfriend, did, did, she, did he take it hard? I believe that he did. He um, seemed extremely distraught and beside himself. And, um, you know, of course, that seemed suspicious to me because everything was. You yeah, know, right. he should be upset, but at the same time, you know, I didn't really know this guy, so I didn't know his personality. I didn't know his personality type. He was a fairly new boyfriend. And so every little move he made, I was analyzing and wondering, okay, is this something? Is mm-hmm. is um, there's a sign that he did it or he knows something about it or, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. I just think he was distraught. But se- 16 years later, you're pretty satisfied that he had nothing to do with it. Well, I'm pretty satisfied. There's always, you know, we don't know where she's at, so there's always that question. Right. But I'm, of course. I'm pretty sure that he had nothing to do with it. Okay. The way you look at it, uh, Janelle, what do you think happened? What? How do you interpret interpret uh, what went on that night? If if you continue to think that the uh, the boyfriend didn't have anything to do with it, uh, I know that we've talked about our ex husband, and I you know you've not expressed any uh, inkling that you think he did it. How do you, what do you think happened that night? I think that she was putting her guitar in the trunk. Mm-hmm. And that someone came up and said they wanted to talk to her. Somebody that she knows. And they said it was a brief conversation. So I believe she got in the car with them. Now, how the trunk was left open, I don't know. I, you know, the, mm. the clickers that we have for our cars, um, maybe she accidentally pressed the trunk when she got into that person's car or at some point, I don't really know. Right. Maybe she didn't close it all the way by accident. Um, but I just have a feeling she went with someone. And the reason I think that is because nobody heard any screaming and everybody was leaving the pub at the same time. So nobody saw anything strange or heard anything strange. Mm-hmm. Not that there were a ton of people at the pub. It wasn't like hundreds were walking out mm-hmm. and might have seen it. But, you know, maybe 15, 20. You know, at closing time, sometimes it's a, it's a small group. Yeah. And I believe it was a smaller group. But nobody heard anything. So I think the trunk was left open inadvertently. And that somebody she knew said, oh, I just want to talk to you for five minutes. So she maybe got in her car with them and then just never returned right 
you know, that's what I did. and I think this problem being that that is your suspicion, that I, I think that goes back to what you were saying about how you're, you're very hypersensitive, seeing everybody as being a suspect because even to this day, 16 years later, you continue to think that somebody who knew her did this. Okay, that's interesting because I will be honest, and I think I told you this the first time we talked, and I want the listeners to know this, is that you know, I learned about this case, and I started reading it. That was not my first uh, – you know, what I, my first inclination, my knee-jerk reaction to this is that if you're going to say that you – know, of course, like you said before, you automatically think ex-husband, husband, boyfriend – but if it's going to be somebody outside of that, I automatically think like a stranger, and I think, well, she put it in. Somebody came up behind an attacker. But you knowing your sister, you knowing the circumstances and everything, maybe even knowing the area a little bit, you continue to think that it was somebody who actually knew her. Whereas me being kind of disconnected from it, I think that it was a stranger, you know, a complete stranger that did this. I, I don't know. There's something interesting about that. Yeah. Well, I guess it's possible. Gina was a fighter and a scrapper, and you would have heard screaming and all kinds of things. I mean, unless they had some way to cover her mouth quickly and um, keep her from doing that. She was small. She was slight. She was uh, mm. five, six, and about 105 pounds, so she was tiny. But she could make noise, and she would kick and scream and scratch and whatever needed to be done to mm get attention and there were guys that were um, taking their equipment out of the back of Dugan's pub kind of alleyway um, and they were taking it in and out you know I mean they were loading up their cart so they were walking in and out and they would have heard something I would think I mean unless they just happened to be inside when it happened yeah which is possible which yeah. is possible. It's possible nobody was there when it happened, and yeah. and your idea is correct. Yeah, you know, it certainly sounds to me like the way you're portraying it. I've never been to Lincoln, Nebraska, but it almost sounds to me like somebody was almost, you know, kind of. If it was a stranger, it might have been somebody lying in wait, but that would certainly, you know, you'd have to get the timing just right. So, uh, you know, you make you have started to make me think that I, I agree with you that, you know, it was somebody that she knew who knew she was going to be there that night and, uh, you, you know, did, you know, leave the guitar there. I just want to talk to you a couple, for a couple minutes, uh, you know, and something, you know, didn't go right. Um, do you think that she might've had another man in her life? I, I need to, I, I'm sorry. I need to ask this, but could there have been somebody else that, the boyfriend didn't know about? I don't think so. I know that she still talked to her ex-husband, mm -hmm. and they were still friends, but I don't believe she had another man. Okay. She seemed to be very happy with Mike, the guy that she was dating at the time. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And was there anything within her lifestyle? Once again, I'm sorry that I have to ask these questions, but... I, I'm trying to uh, the listeners. I want to help, so that so I, I need. Is there anything within her lifestyle that might have gotten her in trouble? You know, well, dr she... drugs or anything. I, I'm sorry. I need, I'm sorry that I have to ask this. 
I'm sorry. Right. I don't know of any drug addiction. Mm-hmm. I'm not aware of that. Okay. Um, I do know that she was a single mom and she dated a lot. She was a right. beautiful woman and yeah, thought she was. wanted to date her. And yes. She wanted to date, so she did. So, um, right. There were a lot of guys that dated her, so who knows, you know. Right. They usually say it's some some former boyfriend or ex-husband or right. somebody that they can point to. Yeah. I, I agree with you. That yeah, you're right. It's it's hard to it's hard to narrow it down uh, in a, in a circumstance like this. Uh, how how since 2000, you believe that the police have pretty much kept you in, informed. And I want you to you know, the, and something you told me that was disgusting in our first conversation was I asked you since 2000 have has there been any leads. You've said thousands of leads. What can you tell the listeners about that? Because it's a little bit disgusting. <laughs> that there have been thousands of leads? Yeah. Well, a lot of the leads have been rumor leads. Yeah. And uh, they recycle themselves throughout the town. And then people that hear them think they're a new lead and they'll call it in, which in a way that's a good thing. Yeah. Because... You know, they're concerned citizens, and they think it's a new lead, but it's really an old lead that has just cycled around the rumor mill. Um, All this really had to wear on your family, didn't it? Well, um, we didn't really take it all in. I learned early on to just um, not buy into anything that I was told. Mm Mm-hmm. Because if I did, then I was an emotional wreck. You know, initially, we would hear that she was hitchhiking on an interstate and a trucker picked her up. A trucker would call it in because we had flyers everywhere. We made sure truckers took them. If people were going on vacation, we asked them to take uh, flyers with them and put them wherever they go. And so we had flyers all over the United States looking for Gina. Mm -hmm. And um, so we would get calls from everywhere. And, you know, I would get upset. I'd go, why is she out there hitchhiking? If that's really her, why is she doing this? And and it was not her. It was never her. It was someone who looked like her. And so from being angry at her to being distraught over, you know, rumors and, you know, just different ways that she may have been killed, I just finally said, no, I am not going to buy into any of this until I know for sure. I'm just not going to listen. I will take note. I I will, you know, take note just in case it's a piece of the puzzle, but I'm definitely not going to buy into it emotionally or mentally. And so we all have just kind of done that, and and uh, it makes it a lot easier than to just discuss those things. And we don't announce them, and we don't talk about them. Um, we just... It's just a just a thing. You had told me, if I can ask this, but there was also the aspect of guys who were already in prison coming up with leads. Yes. Tell, tell the listeners about that, if you could. Well, you know, when you're in prison, it's lonely and sad, and you don't get to get out much. So, you know, you hear about a case that the police can't solve, and... 
um, you and your buddies talk about it, and you know, I'm just creating this scenario, mm-hmm. so I don't know yeah. if it was the way yeah. they did it, but yeah. Yeah. you think, well, you know, hey, I've got a tip on that, so you call um, whoever you need to call to make sure that the police find out that you have a tip, and the police come and interview you, you get a chance to be out of yourself for a while, you get a chance to be out, and if you say you can lead them to where her body is, then you can be out for a day, you know. And um, yeah, you know, so got, this happened several times, and there there was no fruit to that. Not one of these leads ever went anywhere. They were just no. They were just trying to buy some time to be out, or just to have a conversation, or to look like you know. Yeah, they're the big cheese for the the case, or even to get their sentence light lightened. That that was a motivation. Yeah. As well, you know, if I give you this information, will you get me out earlier, or will you drop this part of my case? Or right, and it, and you can look at it. It's like it's like a win-win situation for them you, because even if they give them this tip and it's a total lie, they can always say, "Well, that's just what I heard." Sorry, yeah. that's just what I heard. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, that to use a word I already used before. It's disgusting. I, I, I'm going to tell you, Janelle, I can't imagine going through something like that for you and your other siblings and Gina's kids and your parents. I know what you've told me about uh, not trying to ride the ro- emotional roller coaster, but it has to be tough not doing that. Well, you'd have to ride the emotional roller coaster for a while yeah. to find out that it's imperative that you stop or yes. it's just not good for your health. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know that other families do that, but I just know that I needed to do that. Yeah. And um, that we have, as a family, tried not to ride that roller coaster. Right. I'm going to ask you one more uh, question about the case, and I want to talk about what you've personally been doing with your music uh, to raise awareness. Uh, okay. Since 2000, have the police to your knowledge, ever gone back and looked at all those people who were in Gina's life, whether at Dugan's Pump or elsewhere, since then? And the reason I ask this is it very well may be that they looked into people in 2000, 2001, and everybody seemed innocent. But if you go back now, maybe you might find out that one or two of these guys has had a sexual assault since then or this, or has been in and out of uh, prison that, you know, might cause the police to look at some of these people again. Do you you know if they've done that or not? I know that I've heard of other cases where they've done that, but in your case, in your sister's case, do you you know if that's happened or not? I believe they have done that for several of the people that they have talked to, Mm -hmm. potential suspects. Mm -hmm. And, um... What their findings are, I don't know, but okay. um, I believe that they have done that. I don't know that they've done that for everybody that they talked to, but um, for some of the more prime suspects, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I I can tell you that I'm I'm I'm, I'm happy. I, I'm glad I'm hearing a case finally where uh, a family member is pleased with what they think uh, the police are doing, because I can tell you in most of the cases that. People that I interview, Janelle, they're usually not too happy. So I'm glad that the Lincoln uh, police are are um, helping.
helping you out, and I, I, I'm glad you think that they're doing uh, a good job. What did you do, and what, did, what do you continue to do personally regarding your sister's disappearance? Tell us about um, Gina for Missing Persons Foundation and what else you've done. Okay. Well, I had been, you know, feverishly looking for my sister for the first six months. And for that first six months, I was on that emotional roller coaster. Mm-hmm. And um, I uh, it was 24-7. I was working my job and taking care of my kids, but I was just, quite frankly, obsessed with finding her. And the biggest reason that I was so obsessed, not just because she was my sister, but it was because of her children. I felt like I really needed to find their mother for them. Yeah. When I saw their faces when she first disappeared, I was it just hooked me. And um, so for six months, I did whatever I could. I called whoever I could. I knocked on every door I could. I did everything I could possibly do. And then I just got depressed because I didn't know what else to do. I had no other stone to turn that I knew I could turn. Mm. And it was probably around 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And I got depressed. And I just, I, I was so depressed, I fell asleep. So I went to bed, and I woke up in the middle of the night about 12 hours later, about mm. 2, 2, 3 in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I sat up in bed with the thought, just do what you already do. Well, what I already did at that time is I was a traveling musician. I was a touring artist. I created albums, and I did tours, and I got media. Uh And I thought, you know what? I know how to get media. I know how to do that. Why don't I put together events and get media for the families of the missing? I can't find my own sister, but I know how to get media. I can't find their siblings. I can't find their children. I can't find their aunts and uncles, but I can get media for them. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was, my, that was the thing that would make me feel better about not finding my sister. And I would also be able to help others. So I asked my friends from L.A. and New York City to profile a missing person. And I had 13 different events planned. And we created a CD that had the faces of 12 different missing people on it. The families had come to us and asked us to profile them. Mm-hmm. We raised money to, to put that CD out. We wanted to give it away. We, we didn't want people to have to pay for it. We wanted them all out. So we made a thousand of them. Wow. We asked people to look, listen, and pass it on at these events. And they were in the month of October and early November marking Gina's disappearance date, which is October 17th, and her birthday, which is November 4th. So we had like a three-week period where we had all these events from LA to New York City. We mailed out, we shipped out, I should say, we shipped out those CDs to all the artists. Some of the events had 50 people, some had 20, some had mm-hmm. 100, you know, just attended. Yeah. And um, we asked people to look, listen, and pass them on. And our last event was in New York City. And um, the girl there, I believe her name was Sarah. Uh, I haven't been in touch with her for a while, but I'm pretty sure it was Sarah. And uh, she asked people to look, listen, and pass it on. And they did that. And three days after the event, a young man that was missing from Indiana was handed that CD. 
Wow. And he knew, he knew that his family loved him and they would take him back. And he, the interesting thing about him is he had been gone for about seven months. He did not take his car. He did not pick up his paychecks from work. He had, he was in high school, but he had two jobs uh-huh. and he did not, he left without picking up his paycheck. So his mother felt he was dead, and he was actually the last person that we put on the CD. We had 12 missing people on the CD, and I missed this part, so I'm backtracking. Yeah. We had 12 missing people on the CD, and his mother found out about what we were doing, and she called me from Indiana, and she said, Janelle, I heard about what you're doing. Can you put my son on your CD? Can you make him part of your program? And so I said, sure. Well, we rearranged the artwork and we fit him in there and he was the one that was found he was the one and um i you know i knew i could get media i knew that i could do that because i knew how to do that locally but i didn't think anyone could be found so when someone was found yeah i went wow i've got to do this yeah. i have this i have to do this and so we became a nonprofit. Um, those initial concerts were called Gina Concerts, mm-hmm. and we decided to call the nonprofit uh, Gina for Missing Persons Foundation. Mm-hmm. And um, so we have had concerts ever since, mostly in the fall, but we have them throughout the year. We do something that's called the Squeaky Wheel Tour. At one point, we decided we wanted to make that's more a great noise. Name. We that's to a great create name. Create a name that would make more noise, so we called it the Squeaky Bill Tour for the Missing. Yes. And we do it around that time frame in October and November, and we ask artists around the world. We don't have to be their person. We ask them around the world to profile missing people in their local area. We connect them with the missing people, sometimes with the families uh, in the local area, and we ask them to profile missing people at their events, ask people to take flyers. Now, these days, we ask people to take pictures on their cell phones and yeah. share it with social media, so it gets out a lot farther than those flyers ever did. So we have more opportunity to find these people than we ever did before because of social media. And uh, we've been in 14 different countries with our events. Wow. We've profiled thousands of missing people, and... Um, we can't always pinpoint exactly how they were found, but we know that when we're doing these events, more people are found that are on our website than any other time of the year. That's a, that's an amazing story, Janelle. Just you from 2 o'clock in the morning, six months after your sister disappeared, to what it has become. Uh, it's and I know you did it. It's it's like in a way that you did it to take your mind off your sister, but then by doing it, she's like always on your mind. That's that's amazing. <laughs> it's it's a little bit of a paradox. I'm serious. You know, you felt like you needed to do something because your mind was r- racing so much because of this, and then you came up with this and, and you you turned it into something positive. It's an amazing story. It's, it's that's uh, what an, what an accomplishment, and I know you're going to continue to continue to do this. Uh, where can people, my listeners, find you and all this? Obviously, this great work you've done for the last 16 years. Where can they find you online or wherever else, Facebook or wherever, uh, if they want to donate, if they want to get involved? Where, where where can they find this info? info? Yeah, 
You can go to 411-GINA.org. That's 411-GINA.org. Okay. And are you on Facebook, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, any any of those things too? We're on Facebook for Gina for Missing Persons or 411-GINA, both of them. We're on Facebook for the Squeaky Wheel Tour. Mm-hmm. And I'm on Facebook too, Janelle Rapp. Okay. And so, did have you just completed a, a this the series for this year, or what's what's the plans for 2017 for what you're doing? 2017, we haven't started planning exactly yet. Uh, the Squeaky Wheel Tour during election years, it's a lot harder to do what we do because media is right. fixated on the election. Right. Um, True. We we don't do as much during those years. And we try to start a little earlier. So we started in September this year, and we ended in October. Okay. Um, yeah. We had several events, but not what we normally are able to do. Okay. So but... 2017, we're working on the plans for that. We would love to be on the road. Um, when we are on the road um, and meeting up with the artists around the country, we're able to get a lot more media than when we aren't on the road, but it takes a lot of money to be able to do that, um, yeah. to send us on the road. We've taken a tour bus on the road, and that's our favorite way of doing it. We get the most media. We get the most attention for the missing because we line that tour bus with the faces of the missing. And so all around the country, wherever we go, people are able to see those faces and wonder what we're doing and we have our website on the side, and people can take pictures. In fact, when we were in Nashville with the tour bus, mm. we were at a stoplight, and people got out of their cars and went around our bus taking pictures. Wow. It was amazing. But I bet. What do you think the I mean the way Gina knew you would she, would she have thought that you were capable of doing this or do you think that this is something that that you always had in you or did you just find some strength with within you uh, given what you know happened to your sister What would she be saying about are you your younger sister or older sister of Gina I don't think I ever asked you that I'm a I'm a year older than you, Okay what would she be saying about her big sister that's a hard question you're making me. <laughs> okay, put I'm you too much on the spot. Right I'm just so impressed. I'm just so impressed, Janelle. I didn't know this. I have to tell you that obviously I've been to your website and I read a lot about you and everything, but these stories about this, the, 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 the son seeing it, getting a CD with his own face on it and the people walking around the bus, those are awesome stories. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's, it's been pretty incredible. Um, the families of the missing, uh, my heart is really with them knowing what they go through on a regular basis. And when we first, in one city, I should say, in one city when we first pulled up, there were a lot of families of the missing there. When we pulled up with that bus, yeah, with their loved one on the side of yeah. our bus, yeah. The looks on their faces and the gratitude, it was like, you know, uh, I can't even explain it. I can't, I can't, there are no words to explain how it made me feel. Right. They felt like someone cared about them, someone they don't even know 
is coming to love and care and uh, for them personally and to make a difference for their family. All right. I'm going to give out this website again for everyone. 411gina.org. 411gina.org is where you can find Janelle and what she continues to do to raise awareness for the disappearance of her sister Gina, along with all of the other people in the United States who have gone missing. Uh, Janelle, thank you for joining me on, on this episode of Unfound. Thank you so much, Ed. I so appreciate it. You're welcome. And that was my November 2016 interview with the sister of Regina Marie Boss and founder of the Squeaky Wheel Tour, Janelle Rapp. Before I get into my new summation of Regina's disappearance, I want to give you the Squeaky Wheel's information again. The website, 411gina.org. So that's 411gina.org. On Facebook, the page is 411gina. The email address, 411-G-I-N-A-I-N-F-O at gmail.com. So it's 411-G-I-N-F-O at gmail.com. And the phone number is 657-216-2831. Hard to believe that interview took place almost three years ago. At that point, I had done maybe seven interviews, eight, something like that. So Unfound had only been around a couple months. And what I recognized from listening to the interview is how Janelle believed someone Gina knew had abducted her, while I thought a stranger did it. And in that, I think it shows how my views on disappearances have changed. These days, I automatically think someone who knew the missing person did it, especially if the victim is a woman. Frankly, and even more so, what I think the interview shows is Janelle's wealth of knowledge having lived with her sister's disappearance for 16 years, at least at that point. She certainly understood how everything works, including that being nice to the police is a key component of how a family should act. Whereas me, to me in the interview, I sound like a new person to disappearances, which I was. I can hear it in my voice. I can hear it in the words I chose. I just sound different than I do now. So, what happened to Regina Marie Boss? In my mind, it's one of the most confounding cases Unfound has covered. Maybe not as perplexing as Jason Jolkowski's, but Gina's is certainly close. What strikes me is how many women disappear after having arguments with their husbands and boyfriends. These men would admit after the woman has gone missing, well, we had a fight before she left, and we as the public know what we always think. Well, the guy did it, and him admitting there was a fight is almost like the guy giving a reason to have killed the woman without actually admitting anything. But the tough part with Gina's case is people saw her after this alleged argument with her boyfriend. She went to the bar, she played some music, she had a great time, and all indications showed Gina disappeared from that parking lot. Nobody believes the car was planted there, Nobody believes she ran off. Nobody believes she had some other guy. So what's left to analyze? Even with the pager, I see that in a totally different light now. In fact, I think I understand why she didn't have it. Why? Because the original plan was for the boyfriend and Gina to be at the bar together that night. 
Then they got into the argument and they turned around so he could be let out. So my thinking is the reason Gina didn't have her pager is because she didn't think she would need it. Why? Because she thought her boyfriend would be with her. Because he was the one who usually called her pager. Then when they turned around and dropped him off, she didn't go inside to get it. Probably never occurred to her. That makes a lot of sense to me. And I think it takes all the mystery away from why she didn't take her pager. And unfortunately, Janelle couldn't remember what their argument was about. Even so, would have to take the boyfriend's word on that. For me, and having known about this case for three years now, the open trunk is the main issue in this case. Why wasn't it closed? Did Gina forget? As she was attacked, did she hit the button to open the trunk by mistake? Did the attacker want something in the trunk and forget to close it? Until this case is solved, we may never know. I'm also thinking how coincidental or convenient it was that whoever took her just happened to approach her after she put the guitar in the trunk. Would a friend or stranger be more likely to do that? Think about it. I'll leave the rest of the theorizing up to you. And that's the program. If you found it informative, please go to the app that you use to listen to Unfound and give this podcast a nice review. I thank you for listening. I'm Ed Denzel, and you've been listening to Unfound.